0: A well regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. This is the Second Amendment, and this is the gun guy. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. Boom, 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 boom. Bang, 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 bang. With Guy Ralford on 93 WIPC.
2: Well, good afternoon, and welcome to the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WYBC. Thrilled to be with you. A little bit earlier than uh, the last three or four shows after the uh, IU postgame show, so we're, we're glad to be with you. That's, uh, that's it for IU football this year. Now, we're going to have IU basketball, and sometimes we bump up against that scheduling as well, but we'll see how that goes. In the meantime, we've got most of our... Full scheduling uh, two hours to discuss your Second Amendment rights and what's going on out there in the, the legal world, uh, as well as uh, uh, any other issue you want to discuss. If you want to give us a call throughout the show, give us a call, 317-239-9393. Uh, Producer Carl, get your right on the line, and um, and we'll discuss what it is you want to discuss as to uh, Second Amendment issues uh, whether that's gun rights, gun safety, responsible gun ownership—you, uh, you name it—we'll go into it. In the meantime, we're gonna get into some issues that I've gotten a lot of questions about. And you know, I'm out there on social media. By the way, give me a give me a follow on uh, on Twitter or X, whatever the hell we're calling that these days. Uh, I'm at Guy Relford, and uh, people contact me with direct messages, private messages, whatever they're called. On Twitter as well as on Facebook, I'm on there at Guy Relford, and there's a Facebook Gun Guy page, just Gun Guy W-I-B-C. A lot of people contact me there as well. And I've gotten just a ton of questions on, on the, the same few issues, and I really want to go through those tonight, because when I get a lot of the, the same kinds of questions, a lot of times it's prompted by what's going on in the media, what's going on you know in the courts, uh, probably covered by the media. Um, and and, and if, it's, if, it's, if it's on people's minds, then th- those are the kind of issues that I want to get into. In the meantime, a lot of people have asked me about this case that was just argued a little less than two weeks ago in the Supreme Court. And this is U.S. versus Rahimi. And, and a lot of folks have asked me, about this case, and and I've actually meant to get into it, like the last two shows in a row, and we just didn't have time, you know, partly because uh, of uh, of IU football, uh, and, and 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 or just getting into a lot of other issues. But I really want to discuss this case because it's an interesting case, and it has the potential to really change our our gun rights here in the U.S. When a case goes up to the Supreme Court of the United States, and, and the issue is the scope of protection, you know what, what is or is not protected by the, the Second Amendment of, 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 of the United States Constitution, by definition, that can affect our rights. And it certainly was true of the decision in 2008, the Heller versus D.C. case. Actually, it was DC versus Heller. But that was a fundamental decision. And people a lot of people don't don't understand this. But there, there was a, a fundamental question in that in that case, which is does the Second Amendment even protect at all an individual right to bear arms? And on that issue, the Supreme Court of the United States voted five to four. It was a one-vote plurality. It was a one-vote majority that came out and said, yes, the Second Amendment protects an individual right to bear arms, not related to and not dependent on being part of an organized military unit like the National Guard. Four justices of the United States Supreme Court said, oh, no, because the Second Amendment starts out saying a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state. The right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Because it starts off talking about a militia, four justices, one less than it took to win the case for the anti-Second Amendment people came out and said, yeah, if you're not in the National Guard, if you're not part of an organized military unit, then you, you have no right protected by the Second Amendment. You don't think that's huge? I mean, there were so many of us who were, who were watching that case because we're Second Amendment advocates. I and mean, people on both sides of the argument were watching that case on the, on the edges of our seats. Because had that gone the other way, and again, we're talking about one vote, had it gone the other way, the Second Amendment doesn't protect any right to bear arms for a private citizen, for an individual who's not in the National Guard, who's not part of the military. Think about how different things would be today, particularly with all these different laws getting passed at the state and in some states local level. That would restrict your rights. It's huge. The the, the Heller court also went on in two thousand eight to talk about what arms are protected, because in that case they were dealing with the fact that handguns had essentially been completely banned in Washington D.C. and and the re- reason they were essentially banned completely in Washington D.C. is they said, well, you couldn't own a gun. You couldn't possess a gun, you couldn't buy a gun unless you got a hand unless you got a license. Sorry to say handgun license. Unless you got a firearm license from the government in the District of Columbia. And they just stopped issuing licenses for handguns. Totally, completely. So you couldn't possess a firearm if you didn't have a license, and they didn't issue licenses for handguns. That resulted in a de facto complete ban on handguns. In addition, they they had a local law there in D.C. that said you couldn't have a firearm at all unless it was completely disassembled and inoperable or otherwise locked up and inaccessible in your home. Completely eradicating any usefulness that firearm might have to you to defend your home, your family, or your life. And the Supreme Court in the dc versus heller case took that and looked at that and said well first of all we're going to address this fundamental issue as of is there any right of an individual protected by the second amendment and there they said hey look in 1791 when the second amendment was ratified the militia quote unquote was just the entire populace of the people It was the entirety of the population, as far as adults, who could bear arms and come to the defense of the of the country. That is necessary to the security of a free state. And since they were they were they were not part of an organized military unit, but in the meantime could lawfully and in fact were going to protect their rights to bear arms to. to keep and bear arms, and they would have that right to protect themselves, to haunt any other lawful purpose of having that firearm, and yes, they could also be summoned up as part of the militia to come stand next to the standing army, once the government decided they wanted to have one of those, to protect this country. The security of a free state, And again, in the Heller decision, they said this. Why is the word free in there? Because if we have a government that becomes tyrannical, consistent with the wording of the Declaration of Independence, says when any form of government becomes destructive of these ends, these ends being the preservation of individual freedom, is the right of the people to alter or abolish that system of government. That's right in the Declaration of Independence. And the same people responsible for writing those words wrote the Constitution and wrote the Bill of Rights, including the Second Amendment. So that's why they put the word free in the Second Amendment, so we could stand up and preserve the freedom of this country in the event that our government became tyrannical. That's the purpose. That's why we have it. And so when... and all that became clear, by the way, because all everything I just said, every single facet of, 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 of the statements I just went through for the last 10 minutes or so were highly debated for generations. There's no individual right to bear arms. The Second Amendment does nothing for you unless you're in the militia. Well, it, it only refers to those firearms that existed at the time of the ratification of the Constitution. So unless you have a musket... That you want to carry, it's not protected by the Second Amendment. I mean, and you continue to hear those arguments. Heller resolved all that. Also said those arms commonly used for lawful purposes today, today, commonly used for lawful purposes are protected by the Second Amendment. All that got decided. Everything I've just been talking about, all of that got decided in one Supreme Court decision in 2008. Look at how many different issues, how many different debates. If you care at all about the Second Amendment, man, you go out on social media. And, and, and today, people who are oblivious to the rulings of the Supreme Court, today, will still post stuff like, oh, you have a musket? Great. The Second Amendment protects your right to possess that musket. I see that. I, if I go look hard enough, I, that, that's daily. Something you'll see on social media. Great. You got, a, you got a sword and a musket? That's what the Supreme Court protects. Oh, well, I don't have to debate that with you. And some idiotic exchange on social media. The Supreme Court resolved that issue don't like it talk to the supreme court in the meantime i don't have to debate that with you oh uh, you, you 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 think you have a, a right to own some particular firearm people want to talk about assault weapons quote unquote great what militia are you part of ha ha and people think that's some huge victory on social media that they're going to they're going to they're going to Establish their dominance in that discussion by saying, you clearly haven't read the opening words of the Second Amendment. Well, I don't have to debate that with you. The Supreme Court has talked about what militia means, and it doesn't limit my right to bear arms. So that's all a long-winded way of saying that a lot can get resolved, (laughs) a lot of issues A lot of debate, a lot of potential restrictions on your Second Amendment rights, your right to keep and bear arms, can get resolved any time the Second Amendment is going to be analyzed and ruled upon in the highest court of this land. Just last year in the Bruin decision, which we'll go into a little bit when we come back, the Supreme Court's decision in the Bruin case— Last June, I believe it was, 2022, has fundamentally changed the way Second Amendment cases get resolved in this country. That's one case before the Supreme Court of the United States. And guess what? We have another case pending. Right now it was argued just two weeks ago. Rahimi versus U.S. And it can fundamentally change the entire discussion around the Second Amendment as well in light of the Bruin decision that we just got last summer. So that's what I'm going to get into. A lot of people have been asking me about it. And a lot of people I think are not necessarily aware of the significance of what could come out of the Supreme Court on these issues. That's what we'll go into when we come back. Right now, we're at the bottom of the hour. We're taking a break. Give us a call, 317-239-9393. That's 317-239-9393. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back to The Gun Guy Show here on 93 WYBC. And here in a second, I'm going to get into... This Rahimi case that just got argued less than two weeks ago in the Supreme Court of the United States. And I'm talking about how much uh, the rulings, the decisions, the opinions from the Supreme Court of the United States can really affect our rights once a decision goes up. And once the Supreme Court agrees to take a case, and here's how that works. Supreme Court doesn't have to take most cases. It's totally optional. As a lawyer, you file what's called a petition for certiorari, which is essentially a petition for review. Often gets shortened to petition for cert, just short for certiorari. And the Supreme Court can either grant that or deny it. They deny it, oh gosh, 95% of the time? So people say, I'm going to take this case to the Supreme Court of the United States. Well, you might, but the Supreme Court has to accept your case. They have to agree to take it. That's why it's a big deal when the Supreme Court takes a case. And they, they have turned down dozens and dozens and dozens of Second Amendment cases. Some cases, a lot of us wishes they would have ta- taken, but decided not to for whatever reason. And there's something, a lot of people don't know this. There's something called the rule of four. And it's not written down anywhere. It's not, it's on, it's not a law. It's not in a statute anywhere. It's just a general rule that at the Supreme Court, if four justices want to hear a case, the Supreme Court takes the case. That's less than a majority, obviously. There being nine Supreme Court justices. But if four Justices of the Supreme Court want to hear a case, then they take the case. And still, 95-plus percent of cases get turned down. And if you care about an issue, I mean, again, just by way of example, look at abortion. When the Supreme Court took the abortion case last year that had the potential, or this year, that had the the potential of overturning Roe v. Wade as to whether there's a basic right to an abortion protected in the Constitution. A lot of people, where that's a very important issue to them, took notice by definition because they can fundamentally change life in America once the Supreme Court takes the case. And when they came out and said, no, Roe v. Wade was wrong, there's no right to an abortion set out in the Constitution to, the the court in the seventies and Roe v. Wade had to manufacture it out of whole cloth. Then and, and when there was no suddenly the states jumped in and started regulating abort. That's how big a deal it is. So the case last year, Bruin, and it's actually New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. How did that change things? You know, when you look at what actually got resolved in that case, again, in, in in Heller, oh, in 08, and by the way, McDonald versus Chicago in 2010, what it said is it took the Heller decision and said, oh, by the way, this is all applicable to the states. So the states can't violate your Second Amendment rights any more than the federal government can. And all of the Heller's decisions on what, Arms are protected and 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 whether or not you have to be part of a military unit in order to have Second Amendment protections, all that's applicable to any state regulation as well. So that was a huge case, 2010. And then we didn't get another Supreme Court case, a substantive Supreme Court decision on the Second Amendment until last year in New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Brewing. And a lot of people look at the decision, the actual outcome of that case, and go, well, that's got very limited application beyond just a handful of states. And it's understandable they would think that because what the issue was, what the primary issue was before the court was whether or not New York's handgun licensing system that said that some official in law enforcement in New York, when you apply for a handgun license, got to assess whether or not you had a sufficient need to carry a handgun in public. In other words, was there an ongoing threat against you as we speak at the time of your application to where you had a need to carry a handgun? And simply saying, oh, well, I live in a high crime neighborhood, not not good enough. Uh, I I carry a lot of money as part of my job, or I'm a jeweler and I got to carry around a briefcase with a million dollars worth of, of 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 jewelry in it. Not not good enough. You had to declare some some. I think the word was particularized need to defend yourself in order to get a handgun license. And that's why virtually nobody got a handgun license in New York. And so that went up to the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court took the case, New York State Rifle and Pistol Association versus Bruin. And, and a lot of us looked at that and said, okay, how broad or how narrow of a decision are we going to get? Because it's always a decision. It's always an issue. It's always a focus when the case gets accepted by the Supreme Court because they can issue very narrow rulings. They can issue very broad rulings. And what did the court in Bruin say? In in the court in Bruin, they said, "Well, no, hold on." Supreme Court says it protects the right to keep and bear arms. Bear means carry. Handguns are protected. We know that from Heller, so you have a right to carry a handgun. And this idea that some bureaucrat can scratch their chin and decide who does or doesn't have a right to exercise what's guaranteed to them in the Constitution. Changes, and this was such a great quote, changes a constitutional freedom to a government-granted privilege. And that's not the way the Constitution is supposed to work. Rights are rights. Government doesn't get to decide what law-abiding citizens have the ability to exercise a constitutionally protected freedom and what law-abiding citizens don't. And to say that that changes a constitutional freedom to a government-granted privilege was exactly the right thing. Well, how, how did that affect that part of the ruling right there that I've, I just described, how did that affect us here in Indiana? Because we didn't have what's called a May issue system. That's what they were talking about in New York. And there were only, I think, seven other states, Hawaii, California, Maryland, Connecticut, I don't know, just a handful of others, New Jersey, certainly, that had these May issue systems where the government got to decide whether you had the ability to carry a handgun or you didn't. Well, we have what's called a shall issue system in Indiana, and the vast majority of states in, in this country do, which means if you qualify, you're not disqualified by having a felony conviction or being under a domestic violence order of protection or whatever it might be, th- disqualifies you, then you get your license. And, there, and there's no there's no requirement to show need. Which, by the way, keep that in mind next time somebody says, what do you need to carry a gun? What do you need in an AR-15? Need is not part of the issue. Need is irrelevant. You don't have to debate need. Anybody, anytime anybody wants to say, guy, what, what, or whatever your name happens to be, why do you need that firearm? Why do you need to carry a gun? You don't have to engage in that debate. You don't have to go there. You can laugh at them and say, it's not called the Bill of Needs. It's called the Bill of Rights. I have a right to bear arms, and that includes those arms commonly used for lawful purposes. And if I have a right to do it, I don't have to debate with you or anyone else whether I have a need to do it. And the metaphor I always use, and it upsets a lot of people, and I don't much care, but I've been using this example, this, uh, this comparison for decades, and I've heard other people pick it up since I've been using it. And that is that Rosa Parks didn't have a need to sit in the front row of the bus. The front row of the bus and the back row of the bus are going to the same place. Rosa Parks was going to get to the same destination wherever she sat on the bus, But would any thinking, humane human being on this planet not say that she had a basic, fundamental human right to sit wherever the hell she wanted to sit on that bus? And that she deserved the equal protection of the law, as now guaranteed under the 14th Amendment of the United States Constitution, to sit wherever the hell she damn well pleased? Of course she did. Didn't matter the color of her skin. She had a right, a fundamental human right to sit wherever the hell she wanted. And the fact that there was some racial ordinance or policy or law, whatever it was, in Birmingham, Alabama, that required her to sit in the back of the bus, by definition, that was not only unconscionable, but it was unconstitutional. And it was unconstitutional not because... Because of a discussion of need. She didn't need to sit in the front row. She didn't need to sit in the back row. She, she didn't have need. The, the whole bus was going to the same place. Don't ever get baited into a decision when you're talking about Second Amendment rights into a discussion of need. But right now, we're, we're, we're going into a break. We'll, when we come back, we'll talk about what Bruin had to say. Beyond this simple issue of whether a May issue licensing scheme for handgun licenses was constitutional, how did it change the equation completely? Even though arguably it was only limited to a handful of states that had the same system, that's what we'll go into when we come back. Right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it, but make sure you join us live at wibc.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.
1: Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kiskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kiskali is right for you.
2: And welcome back. I've got a very short segment here since I kind of went a little bit long in that last one. But I'll tell you what, Tony has called in, and rather than leave him on hold throughout the entire break at the top of the show, uh, Tony, welcome to the Gun Guy Show, man. What do you got for us?
0: Hey, first of all, I want to tell you I love your show. Thank you, brother. Yes, sir. And uh, what people don't – you were talking about the, what the Constitution says at the beginning of the – of the hour, uh, yeah. what most people don't realize is, if you read the Federalist paper, you know back then the uh, well-regulated militia was every able-bodied man. Which today it would be every able-bodied man and woman. has, exactly. has a re- has a responsibility to own a firearm and be trained with it, so they are well-regulated to defend your neighbors and your friends and your family.
2: Exactly, and and look, Tony, you just nailed this. Um, But so wait a minute. Doesn't well regulated mean regulated by the government? Doesn't that mean there are a lot of laws that restrict your rights because the word regulated is right there? Isn't that what that means, Tony?
0: Well, if you if you like I said, if you read the the Federalist Papers, well regulated means they meant when they said that well regulated means you know how to you have a firearm. That's right, and you know how to use it
2: exactly. And, and well regulated means responsible. No, you buddy, you are so dead on, and I gave you a slow pitch there. But thanks to Tony, he's obviously uh, read up on his history. The Federalist Papers, by the way, were written by Hamilton, Madison, and John Jay. John Jay mostly on foreign policy. But as to the Constitution, Madison and Hamilton, who wrote the Second Amendment? Primarily Madison. We're talking about the same people. And Tony's dead on. The whole of the people were the militia. And actually, that's a quote from George Washington, who may have had something to say about the formation of this country as well. So you couldn't be more right. We're going to take a break here at the top of the hour. When we come back. I'll talk about this Bruin decision, what it really meant for us. Uh, When we come back right now, we're taking a break. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for the Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.
1: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: And welcome back for hour number two of the Gun Guy Show here on 93 WIBC. And by the way, I... Uh, I, I neglected to mention at the top of the show I hope you had the absolute best Thanksgiving ever. Uh, I hope uh, I hope it was a great day for you and hope you enjoyed your, your family uh, and, you know and, and I hope you gave thanks. And when you gave thanks, you know I really hope you included, uh, at least in your heart, as I certainly did, uh, the fact that uh, yeah, we do have a right to defend our lives, our families. Uh, in our homes here in in in, Indi- in Indiana and in in this great United States, and you know, it's a big deal. But I hope you had a great day. I had a fabulous day. I got it was a lot of work. I smoked a fourteen-pound brisket that I started smoking at 4:30 p.m. on Wednesday, and. Uh, I've got kind of a low-budget smoker to where I have to keep adding wood chips or wood pellets to it or it stops smoking. So I was up every couple of hours Wednesday night. I did it with malice aforethought. I mean, I knew that's what it was going to take, but I really wanted to to smoke a brisket and then also did a turkey. Um, and, and, you know, there was math involved, and I'm notoriously bad at math, but I actually uh, cranked some math out and uh, actually got everything to finish a 14-pound uh, uh, brisket that smoked for about 20, almost 21 hours, finished almost exactly at the same time as the turkey that I smoked, and uh, we ate on time, and it was all rather fabulous. And I, Tony Katz is to blame for, for the fact that I'm smoking every damn meal now, because um, he uh he gave me I met Tony for a, a a cigar and a and a beverage and he gave me a copy of his book Let's Go Barbecue and uh, which is great it's a it's a short read I mean you you you'll, you'll fly right through it uh available on Amazon but uh, he gave me a copy the it was nice enough to sign and the whole spiel and I I read it like that night and the next morning I woke up and I told my wife I go we're buying a smoker cuz I always thought barbecuing was grilling and grilling is not barbecuing I, which I did not know until I read Tony's book. Barbecuing is smoking. Grilling is grilling. And so, all right. So now I went out and I got a smoke. I got kind of an entry-level smoker being a, you know new to this whole thing. Oh, man, I've been knocking it out of the park. But my turkey was incredibly good, moist, juicy, flavorful with all the smoke. And the brisket was really, really good. Anyway, It was just a lot of fun. But I hope you had. Uh, a, a fabulous Thanksgiving as well. Uh, and and in the meantime, yeah, here you are listening to The Gun Guy Show, which I really greatly appreciate here on uh, an extended holiday weekend. But where I left things at the end of the last hour, I was talking about this Bruin decision, which on its face just said, hey, a system like New York's or New Jersey's or California's or Hawaii's or a few other states, This has some government official gets to decide, gets to exercise their discretion of who gets to bear arms and who doesn't based on their need. That's unconstitutional. And and being here in Indiana where we have no such system, your immediate reaction would be, ah, okay. Well, it doesn't have much to do with me. But oh my gosh, it really does. And here's why. Because the Supreme Court went on, and this is what you never know about a Supreme Court case. You don't know how broad or how narrow the decision is going to be. Because the Supreme Court went on to say, well, let me tell you what the test is for determining whether a law that restricts gun rights is constitutional or not under the Second Amendment. Because courts all around the country have been using this sort of balancing test, and it had to do with looking at the degree of infringement, the level of infringement of your Second Amendment rights. And they look at, well, it's just a little bit of an infringement, or it's a lot of infringement. I mean, a lot of people look at that and say, hold on, Second Amendment says shall not be infringed. What's this idea that a little bit of infringement is okay? But the idea was that the based on the level of infringement and whether it reached a core right protected by the Second Amendment, that determined the level of scrutiny, they used to call it. And you'll you'll read a gazillion opinions that say just this. That that well, we give we give a higher level of scrutiny to a law that has a greater level of infringement as to the Second Amendment, and we give a lower level of scrutiny as to just a little bit of infringement. And they did things like, well, if we're banning one particular type of gun, but we're leaving available other types of guns, that's just a little bit of an infringement. And so that's okay, And we'll apply a low level of scrutiny. Anyway, it was just, it was very belabored, and and, and courts use that analysis to uphold things like assault weapon bans and and they had used it to uphold a discretionary licensing system and and things like high capacity magazine bands high capacity meaning standard capacity to anybody who understands firearms and so courts have been using this level of scrutiny bs for years and the Bruin case in addition to its limited holding, limited in terms of who it really affected, that New York's handgun licensing scheme was unconstitutional, went on to say, well, let me give you the test for determining whether a law is constitutional or not under the Second Amendment. It's based on text, history, and tradition. And if you watch the the Kavanaugh, Justice Kavanaugh's confirmation hearings, he... Discussed this at length, and because and, 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 people asked him, what do you think your test is? What is your test for determining whether a law is constitutional? Any law, not limited to the Second Amendment, he goes, well, it's based on the text, history, and tradition of the Second Amendment. Oh, well, let me back up, rephrase. It's based on the text, history, and tradition of that particular provision of the Constitution. Whatever it might be, including the Second Amendment, but not limited to that. And a lot of, and you remember the complete circus that confirmation hearing was. They got off into how much beer he drank in high school and just a bunch of ridiculous crap. And then they had somebody come in and accuse him of of horrible acts that he obviously never committed. And luckily, we got past all that. and, And he's a very, very good, very, I think, wise capable justice of the Supreme Court, and we're lucky to have him. But he explained all this, the text, history, and tradition is, well, first of all, what's the text of of the constitutional provision say? What's it mean? In this case, the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms should not be infringed. All right, what do the words mean? And how many, how many times have you seen that on social media or otherwise? People will go, what part of this don't you understand? Well, that's what Kavanaugh was saying. That's what the Supreme Court said in Bruin. Read the words. Understand what the words mean. But then beyond what the words mean, and this is where the Heller case gave us so much definition. We, we know what the words mean in terms of militia. No, it doesn't restrict you. And as Tony so wisely said when he called in right before the break, even in the Federalist play- Papers, written by a lot of the same people who wrote the Constitution, including the Bill of Rights, including the Second Amendment, had all said the militias, the whole of the people. Washington, George Washington specifically said the whole of the people and, and, and went on to describe Well-regulated doesn't mean regulated by the government. It means well-regulated is like a well-regulated clock keeps good time. That's how they meant well-regulated. Well-regulated means it's capable and fit and trained and equipped to do its job. That's what well-regulated mean, and the Heller decision told us all that. But then history and tradition is their historical equivalent— of regulation of this particular constitutional right that tells us this is okay and accepted based on history and tradition. And we look at two different periods of time. It's really interesting. We look at the at the the date that the particular amendment was ratified, in this case 1791, when the Second Amendment was ratified. And we also look to when the 14th Amendment was passed. Why? Because the 14th Amendment is what made the bill of rights, which was really written to apply to the federal government, 14th Amendment says, oh, no, that applies to the states, too. To the states can't restrict your rights, violate your rights, infringe your rights in ways forbidden by the Constitution. That was in 1868. So we look to those two periods of time and say, all right, in 1791 or in 1868, what are the historical analogs, what are the examples, what are the equivalents of, of how this particular right was was regulated in a way that makes us believe it's okay today to restrict the right in the same way, regulate that lo- that right in the same way? And all of a sudden, you look at this, and so many of these recently enacted gun control provisions that came out of... The Brady Bill, for instance, when the Brady Bill passed, 1994. You know, hundred what 20 some years after the 14th Amendment. Well, what are those provisions? I know, are, are they consistent with the way that Second Amendment rights have been regulated in this country for that whole period of time, looking specifically at 1868 and 1791? And that's why you're seeing all these laws get stricken down now at various levels, and they're working their way up to the Supreme Court. And when we come back from this break, I'll tell you exactly how that ties in to the case that was just argued. This is U.S. versus Rahimi, and how all this fits together and what we can expect coming out of that case. That's how it all coalesces. That's how it all comes together, and that's exactly what we'll get into when we come back. This is Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. And welcome back. I'm Guy Relford, and this is the Gun Guy Show on 93 WYBC. I'm here with producer Carl. Uh, by the way, if you need to follow Carl on social media, uh, big 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 mouth big mouth Carl, I think it is. Carl? It's at Carl Showbiz, and then there's- Carl Showbiz. Yeah. right. But you have that big mouth one on there too. That's what I mean. Yeah, because I have a big mouth. Yeah, <laughs> but Carl Carl does a fabulous job, and uh, and, and I'll tell you, he does a lot above and beyond. For instance, uh, when you see articles posted on the WIBC website, that's all Carl doing that on his own uh, after we've done a show and a lot of the links he puts on social media. Uh, that, that's all Carl just going above and beyond his job description, uh, trying to uh, make sure people hear uh, the word here that we're putting out on the gun guy show. So he's a fabulous producer and I'm lucky to have him and I'm glad he's here. Uh, and give him a follow on on social media as well. In the meantime, what's the issue in in this Rahimi case? Well, first of all, let's talk about this guy, this individual Rahimi himself. This is a guy who's under a domestic violence order of protection, and it is not his first go round with being under a domestic violence order of protection. This is where you know someone goes in. And says, this person's been abusing me, harassing me, stalking me, hurting me, physically hurting me, whatever it might be. And a lot of people call these restraining orders. And the more appropriate, more accurate term is, is order of protection. And to say, I want this person to stay away from me and and stop harassing me or stalking me or hurting me, you know, battering me. And, and you can apply for... And order of protection. And this actually happened in Texas. But the same, the same process uh, exists here in Indiana. and In fact, in virtually any county here in Indiana, and a lot of counties now you can do this online. You go to the clerk's office and you fill an application. And, and, and you say, all right, here are the examples of where this person has stalked me or har- harassed me or hurt me or threatened me. And if your application meets the requirements of the statute for getting an order of protection, then the judge will issue what's called an ex parte order of protection. And and why do we call that ex parte at the beginning? Well, it just ex parte just means they've only heard from one side only. So exactly what ex parte means. And and so they've only heard from one side. In that moment, you've not lost your Second Amendment rights. But there's both, in Indiana, there's a state statute, there's also a federal statute that's at issue in the Rahimi case that says that if after a hearing, so you have some protection of due process, you're subject to an order of protection that protects a, 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 a loved one and an intimate partner, often it's called, then you've lost your Second Amendment rights. So it's illegal for you to possess firearm. And and that's opportunity for a hearing. For instance, here in Indiana, in most counties, you get an ex parte order, meaning they've they've granted the initial order just based on the application. They haven't heard from both sides yet. A lot of times they'll say, okay, you've been subjected to an order of protection, but you have the right to a hearing. And you, but you need to request it within 30 days. If you don't request a hearing, that's the same as going to a hearing and losing. Or if there is a hearing and you, go, in fact, go in and the judge hears from you and hears from the other side and they issue that order against you. It's now illegal under a federal statute and a very similar Indiana statute. It's illegal for you to possess firearms. Now, importantly, you've not commit, not been commit, convicted of any crime. You've just had an order of protection issued against you, and that's what happened to Rahimi. Now, Rahimi is not somebody you want to have over for Thanksgiving dinner. This is a guy who'd had more than one domestic violence order of protection issued against him. He, he, he the evidence has been that he assaulted a woman in a parking lot, someone he was in a relationship with, was forcibly throwing her into a car, battering her at the same time. Some passerby saw the whole thing, and Rahimi fired a gun at him. And that's not the only example of knuckleheaded and illegal things that he'd done. But importantly to the discussion, he hadn't been convicted of any crimes associated with those things. But, but the latest of these women, been subjected to his assaults, battering, whatever else he was doing, which I don't minimize at all, had gone in and gotten an order of protection in Texas, like in most states. Getting an order of protection, this is true in Indiana, it's a civil proceeding, it's not a criminal proceeding, because nobody goes to jail just on the basis of that particular proceeding. You can go to jail if you had a domestic violence order of protection issued against you and you own a gun after that, or if you violate the order. But that's different. The the proceeding that simply results in you getting a domestic violence order of protection issued against you is a civil proceeding. It's not criminal. Why does that matter? It matters in two very, very important ways. One is that the burden of proof... Is only preponderance of the evidence, meaning fifty point zero 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 one percent, that judge has to be convinced that you ought to have that order issued against you. It's not beyond a reasonable doubt like it it is in a criminal case that gets you convicted of a crime. That's an incredibly important point. In addition, since it's a civil proceeding, not a criminal one, you have no constitutionally protected right to counsel. So if somebody files an order of protection against you, and you want to have a hearing, but you can't afford a lawyer, you're just SOL. I would use the full term there, but Carl would... Would beat me and give me really mean looks in the process you're just blank out of luck if you can't afford a lawyer you go in there without a lawyer and do the best you can what if the other side has a lawyer okay they have a lawyer you don't that's just the way it works what if you get your butt kicked just because they have a lawyer and you don't well so be it because it's a civil proceeding it's just like if you're getting sued You're getting sued. The other side has a lawyer. You don't. You go out and try to find a lawyer. lawyer won't represent you without getting paid. So you show up with no lawyer. You get your butt kicked. You just got your butt kicked. The difference with an order of protection is that you've also just lost your constitutional right to bear arms. Because there is a federal statute that says you cannot possess a firearm once you've had a domestic violence order of protection issued against you. Even though the burden of proof was only preponderance of the evidence and even though you had no constitutionally protected right to due process, at least in the form of being represented by counsel, which has been held to be a fundamental part of due process as protected by the 14th Amendment. So we're at the bottom of the hour, a little past. We'll take a break here. I'll come back. I'll put all of this together together. And talk about what the issues are in this Rahimi case, which again, very bad guy. Nobody, I'm not going to lose any sleep whatsoever if this particular individual named Rahimi loses his right to bear arms based on any empathy I have for him, Mr. Rahimi specifically. Well, I'd be disappointed if the Supreme Court issues a ruling says it's just fine for him to have, have lost his Second Amendment rights under these facts. With this procedural history, in this litigation, I'll be definitely disappointed in that, which I'll explain when we come back. I'll also take your calls. I'd like to keep it on the topic that we're discussing In the meantime, we'll uh, take a break here at the bottom of the hour. It's Guy Relford on The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it. But make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for The Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7.
1: Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between.
2: And welcome back to The Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. The reason I'm laughing... Is I went to adjust my microphone just now. I mean, a lot of times, you know, we go to a break. I kind of shove my microphone out of my face, and then we come go to come back on. And just now, I did, and the entire microphone came out of the <laughs> came out of of the uh, brace that it's in. And uh, and so I thought I was going to be doing a handheld mic for this segment. I've kind of Carl before uh, Ethan comes in and does his – oh wait a minute, That's better. Um, if you're watching on YouTube, by the way, the show's always. Uh, uh, in all its visual glory, available on YouTube, uh, I say that tongue-in-cheek, um, but I I think I fixed it. So if uh, if Ethan comes in for Saturday Night on the Circle and the microphone falls off in his lap, that's my fault. But anyway, um, uh, before we get on with the discussion of what we expect to see out of the Rahimi case, I do want to mention that we got a cool event coming up, and uh, and this is... I'm uh, going to be a town hall meeting. This is with a Republican candidate for, for U.S. Congress, Charles Book, Bookwalter, and who's a U.S. veteran, uh, military veteran, by all accounts a badass, running for U.S. Congress, and Casey Daniels, who's uh, very much the better half of uh, the uh, Kendall and Casey show uh, that you hear 9 a.m. to, to noon uh, here during the week, and I are both going to be there along with Charles Bookwalter, and this is going to be at Premier Arms uh, in Brownsburg. And uh, and, and, and I, look, Premier Arms does advertising. Um, um, they sponsor Monday Gunday when I appear on Hammer and Nigel's show. Um, they've done advertising right here on this show. They're my good friends, and uh, they're at uh, 3754 South Green Street, as I recall, or PremierArms.com. But Thursday evening, this coming Thursday, November 30th at 6 p.m., Casey Daniels is going to be there, and I'll be there. And the discussion is, in this town hall meeting, defund the ATF. And listen, you hear me complain about the ATF. I'm going to give a bunch of real-world examples. I I can absolutely testify to them being real-world examples because they involve my clients in cases I'm involved in of the horrific abuses uh, the ATF is committing against United States citizens right now, and uh, and I was pleased to participate in this discussion on defunding the ATF. Uh, but it's uh, it's all about uh, the Republican candidacy of Charles Bookwalter. But if you're around the area, you uh, gonna be in Brownsburg or anywhere close. We'd love to see you Thursday, November 30th, there at Premier Arms. Uh, on uh, South Green Street in Brownsburg. We'd love to see you there. I'll be there. I'll be, I'd love to shake your hand and uh, meet anybody who's there. In the meantime, let's talk about this case and, and what we're likely to see out of it. Because, listen, what's the fundamental issue here? What the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, this is the Federal Circuit um, Court of Appeals, that hears appeals out of federal courts in Texas, Texas, Mississippi and Louisiana. That's the Fifth Circuit. And this case, this Rahimi case, arose in Texas. So it goes up to the Fifth Circuit. And the Fifth Circuit said, hold on, we can't find any historical examples, any analogs, where someone subject to this relatively new legal invention, this new legal mechanism of a domestic violence order of protection, where these people were deprived of their Second Amendment rights. And under the text, history, and tradition test, it's therefore unconstitutional. And and, and when you look at the Bruin test of text, history, and tradition, that makes some sense to you. Then it goes up to the Supreme Court, and the argument was just here, what, less than two weeks ago, I believe. And I listened to the oral argument. I went back and listened to the tape afterward. And not so surprisingly, because I predicted a lot of that. I mean, I I hate to sound like somebody, oh, I saw this coming. The concern I had in this case going up is that Rahimi's not a good guy. He's got a very violent history. There are multiple examples um, that are documented of him being a violent guy, him being a dangerous guy. Him doing knuckle-headed and illegal things with firearms. He hadn't been convicted of a crime. Because, by the way, if he'd been convicted of a felony, we wouldn't be having this discussion. Because if he, he had a felony conviction, he can't possess a gun. He hadn't been convicted of those serious crimes. He'd just been subjected to the domestic violence order of protection. After he went through a civil proceeding where he had no right to an attorney and, in fact, did not have an attorney... And the domestic violence order of protection was issued against him based on this preponderance of the evidence standard as opposed to a criminal standard or a standard applicable to a criminal case, which would be beyond a reasonable doubt. On that basis, he lost his Second Amendment rights. So the case goes up, Supreme Court. Supreme Court, here's oral argument. Here a couple of weeks ago. Chief Justice, John Roberts, at one point asked Rahimi's attorney, do you have any doubt this guy's dangerous based on his history? And Rahimi's lawyer pretty much had to admit that the guy, that there was certainly evidence the guy was dangerous. So here's where I'm going on this. The text history and tradition test says we have to find an example, a similar example, I keep using the word analog. So the noun associated with an with an, an, an analogous statute, law. The Fifth Circuit said, well, the specific example of someone under a domestic violence order of protection, we can't find anything similar, either in eighteen sixty eight or seventeen ninety one. Therefore, this law is unconstitutional. I'm wrestling with my microphone again, if, in case that sounds weird. Supreme Court, in the oral argument, clearly started focusing on, wait, wait a minute, do we need to, to look so narrowly as to whether domestic violence order of or protection is what we're looking for an example of, based on his, historical examples, under the text, history, and tradition test, Or can it be broader than that? And if it's broader than that, what might that look like? And what ramifications could that have to real live laws that we all live under today? That's what we're going to go into on the last segment of the Gun Guy Show here when we come back. We're going to wrap up this discussion on what Rahimi could mean, including its potential impact or not, on something like red flag laws. That get a lot of attention from a lot of people, including me. I've argued that the Indiana red flag law is unconstitutional. I've taken that case up. I've, I've, I've fought like hell, and I've, I've personally been involved in amending our red flag law to make it a better law than it used to be to inject more due process into it. How could the Rahimi case? affect red flag laws in this country, that's what we'll go into to wrap up this edition of the Gun Guy Show when we come back. This is Guy Relford on the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. Hey, thanks for checking out the podcast. We appreciate it, but make sure you join us live at WIBC.com to stream or at 93.1 FM in central Indiana for the Gun Guy Show every Saturday, 5 to 7. And welcome back for the last segment here of the Gun Guy Show on 93 WIBC. I got to tell you, if you don't think we listen to you, um, you know there is a YouTube feed here, and uh, my buddy Kelly Navon, who's a frequent uh, caller, and 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 he's my friend. I mean, Kelly shows up at the state house, testifies for pro two A bills or against anti two A bills. Right there with me, he's a loyal member of the Two A Project. Uh, Which makes him near and dear to my heart. And uh, Kelly (laughs) made a comment on the YouTube chat feature and said, "Hey, we need to mix up the bumper music." And lo and behold, what what do we do? We 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 played different bumper music the next two segments. So never think that Carl and I aren't listening to you or watching uh, when you're uh, when you're chatting with us. So let's wrap this up on the Rahimi case, and here's where I think this case is going. And that is that, yes, the Fifth Circuit said, well, we can't find specific examples of where if you're just restricted from harassing someone, stalking someone, or otherwise, uh, the conduct that will have a domestic violence order of protection issued against you. That makes it unconstitutional under the text, history, and tradition test. The, the, the questions from the justices at the oral argument here a couple of weeks ago and listen, um, you don't want to ever want to read too much into this. I've done a lot of appellate arguments. I've had one case, yes, in front of the Supreme Court of the United States, but I've done a lot of appellate work, including here in the Indiana Court of Appeals, primarily the Indiana Court of Appeals. And sometimes justices are asking questions not so much because they disagree with you, just they they want to hear your response to challenges, to help them write their opinion. And it sounds like they're disagreeing with you. They may or may not be, but here's where I, I really believe we're going with this Rahimi case. I think we're going to a place where, the, the Supreme Court is gonna, is gonna, is gonna sort of swing the pendulum back a little bit from the Bruin case. To say, listen like, for instance, in the specific context of domestic violence orders of protection, they're going to say, we, you don't have to find an analog that's exact. You have to look at, at, at essentially the, the, the core restriction we're talking about and whether that's consistent with regulation going back, yes, to 1791 or 1868, for instance. In the domestic violence order of protection, I think this is where the chief justice, when he said to Rahimi's lawyer, you don't have any question this guy's dangerous, do you? And I think what they're going to say is, listen, we have a long analog, a long history of saying that people that have been proven to be dangerous can't possess firearms, for instance, violent felons. Now, nonviolent felons, not so much. That's why I think that's probably ultimately going to be overturned. But since violent felons, for instance, have been prohibited for quite some time, that someone determined to be violent and dangerous, we can restrict their rights. Here's why I still am concerned about the Rahimi decision. Because that decision that upholds this this, this, the ruling against Rahimi, at, all the way down to lower court, will ignore the fact that he was found to be dangerous only by preponderance of the evidence and with no constitutional protection of counsel. That's where I hope they really focus, and we'll see if they do or they don't. Right now, we're wrapping up this edition of the Gun Guy Show. Hope you come back next week. This is Guy Relford on WIBC.